From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. You may be unaware that you have a condition that increases your risk for stroke. Today, I'm speaking about stroke risk with a stroke specialist, Dr. Hesham Masood. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate Medical University and a member of the comprehensive stroke team at Upstate University Hospital. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Masood. Hi, thanks for having me back. I think a lot of people are unaware that they have an increased risk for stroke. So let's talk about some of the risk factors. If a parent or a grandparent or a sibling has a stroke, does that make you at higher risk? I think it's it's not necessarily the fact that they had a stroke uh, that I'm thinking about so much as I wonder if this family has the history of a stroke at a young age. And for me, young is less than 55. In the same way that if you have a heart attack less than the age of 55 or, you know, in your 40s, it's like, oh, there's some genetic problem here potentially with how they're handling cholesterol at a young age. And so they're getting this accelerated cholesterol buildup in arteries that you typically would see in people who aren't doing well with cholesterol when they're 70. You know, this person gets it early because their genetic expression of that is, you know, is a little bit higher in terms of the dysfunction of handling cholesterol. So, you know, so so this is that's the big time point. So if we're talking about, you know, a, a family history and we're talking about beyond 55, then then that's still relevant to me in the sense that I wonder what risk factors were the ones that led to that stroke event, because I wonder if this is a patient with a family history of high blood pressure, because in the same way that you can have accelerated problems um, from cholesterol and, and, and other uh, genetic dysfunction uh, that manifests in different ways, you can also have a problem with your blood pressure control that's just inherent to your genes, which means that you have to be a little bit more vigilant. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it may be a surrogate for an uncontrolled risk factor in you if you had, you know, um, a family history where everybody in your family had high blood pressure and some of them had high blood pressure so bad they had stroke, you know, then I would be kind of interested in, in making sure that I, you know, if I'm, if I'm this person that I would, you know, check on my blood pressure because blood pressure is this thing that's in the background. You don't know about it unless it's bad enough to manifest and and for it to manifest clinically you know in a way that is actionable for people you know for just a normal individual is a headache right crazy blurred vision some sort of end organ damage you know um and so you know when you're dealing with that it's kind of indicative of a point that you never want it to cross and so if you have a family history of high blood pressure then you want to know what your blood pressure is um, and so in the same way that, you know, a diabetic would want to know what their blood sugar control is. So you check your blood pressure twice a day or once a day, depending on what your risk is, um, just as a way to sort of monitor yourself. If you do have high blood pressure or high cholesterol for that matter, but it's controlled by medication, does that eliminate that risk of stroke for you? So it definitely lowers the risk of stroke if you have blood pressure that is controlled. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a very important thing, though, to not assume that your blood pressure is under control to the goal that you need it to be to manifest that improvement without having some sort of feedback loop. And that feedback loop 
is only as good as how many times you engage it. So if you only look at your blood pressure when your uh, visit with the primary care doctor at best, maybe every six months uh, at, in, 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 a, you know, in a good schedule, then that's not enough data points, right? You, those could be particularly good days or particularly bad days. Uh, so that's why you need to uh, make sure that you have more data points that are actionable. And I always say twice a day because, you know, there is a circadian rhythm of the body and that has an expression on multiple different variables at different times of the day. And the big two time points are morning and uh, uh, before bed or, or nighttime. And so I would say getting those two data points are going to give me uh, high, high quality information that allocates for an internal variability. Uh, and, and then the more data points I get, the more uh, I'm going to be able to, to make some informed decisions. And, and the great, great news for high blood pressure patients is that you are so empowered to lower your blood pressure outside of just the medications that your doctor prescribes. Uh, uh, and, and if you are successful in this regard, you may even be able to get off of blood pressure medications. Obviously, under this controlled setting of knowing where your blood pressures are constantly uh, getting that feedback. And that's because the diet... Uh, an exercise um, lifestyle modification is so impactful. The diet that I always uh, uh, share with people, uh, and you can look this up on a government website, uh, is the diet aimed at stopping hypertension or the DASH diet. Um, and so I'm always telling my stroke patients, uh, uh, you know, and I have a, a smaller sort of templated version of this that, that everybody who sees me gets um, uh, in their wrap-up sheet uh, printout. Uh, but, you know, you can look it up. It's, 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 uh, it's a widely known uh, um, diet. So you're empowered to sort of act on this data that you're collecting as well. You're not just collecting data for other people to, to act on. Why is someone with diabetes at higher risk for stroke? It's accelerated aging of the, of the blood vessels. Um, that, that is the, uh, that's the real culprit mechanism of diabetes. Uh, on on the uh, on the uh, st stroke risk profile. So I've seen uh, patients with uh, accelerated aging in, in inside the arteries of the brain. So we call it intracranial um, uh, disease, and that disease can be related to sort of accelerated plaque buildup, uh, and that's re resultant from from this uh, aging process that's accelerated with poor, poorly controlled diabetes. Can you explain how someone with sleep apnea may have a higher risk for stroke? You know, sleep apnea is one of those things that is so underappreciated uh, 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 and underdiagnosed and, and, and can be such a huge difference maker from a lifestyle standpoint in terms of cognitive clarity and energy levels. So, so I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up just in isolation. I would encourage anybody who, who, who is, who's been told that they snore uh, in a way where they're choking or they're really sleepy, they really talk about their primary care uh, with their primary care doctor and, and, uh, and, and get this done. Um, uh, if they need it, they, they will be grateful for it. Um, but, it. But what it can do is essentially when you are not, so what is sleep apnea? It's obstructive. So, so sleep apnea essentially means that you're not breathing during sleep and obstructive means it's due to some sort of obstruction. Now, you know, we have a, a sleep specialist at Upstate um, who can certainly talk uh, a, a lot in more detail about the further sub, sub uh, classifications of different sleep apneas. But essentially, if you're not breathing, uh, multiple times while you're asleep, that's going to have a response on your uh, brain and your system. 
And so in meaning, you know, when you can't breathe, what happens? Your blood pressure gets up, right? And so now you're going to have these spikes in blood pressure that are happening multiple times, right? You're, you're also going to have your brain not get oxygenated well multiple times. Um, and so these things can cause types of disease and strokes um, risk just from kind of elevating a risk of, of, uh, of something like high blood pressure manifesting to, to real dysfunction levels. Um, and it can also sort of be associated with um, uh, heart rhythm irregularities. And one of the big ones is the atrial fibrillation for stroke, where the heart beats or, or you know, fibrillates in a way where you get turbulence of blood flow and that turbulence sort of activates uh, clotting and then that clot gets pumped out by, by the heart, which is, uh, you know, a pump to organs and then gets carried to the brain, you know. Um, and so so that that's a, another way for that risk to, to potentially, um, you know, uh, be a little bit higher. Uh, with sleep apnea, so so multiple multiple ways. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Hesham Masood. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology with expertise in stroke care. Why are African Americans and Hispanics at higher risk for stroke than Caucasians? Well, I always think about two two big factors in terms of like when when we start seeing trends or you know, populations that have more of or less than, you know, and so, so, you know, even in, 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 in brain aneurysms, you know, for whatever reason, you know, Japanese people or, or people with Finnish blood tend to have aneurysms that rupture, you know, even though that the majority of an aneurysm of aneurysms don't rupture, but if you're Japanese or, you know, Finnish and you have an aneurysm, then you're weighted differently in terms of risk of rupture. So there's this genetic component. So, so it's, it's this balance, I think, of, you know, your, your genetic uh, uh, expression that's sort of uh, modulated by your environment, right? Um, and so, you know, you can have a predisposition because of this genetic predisposition towards having this, um, you know, almost like this Achilles heel, you know, and then it can be exploited uh, based on you know, the lifestyle or the environmental conditions. And I think it's really just sort of an interplay of those two things. Uh, when when you're when you start seeing you know things trending to one side or, or not so you know classically um, um, uh, African Americans Hispanics North Africans uh, you know I'm Egyptians people like myself um, um, uh, Indian subcontinent um, Asians uh, tend to have a little bit more of the uh, uh, atherosclerotic disease, which is essentially you know plaque buildup of the arteries you know sort of crud on the inside of the arteries, but uh, you know, you know, everybody gets it, but we tend to get them more or, you know, th those populations, I should say, tend to get them more in the brain uh, than outside the brain. So intracranial versus extracranial. And then the extracranial tends to be some of the uh, Caucasian populations that are sort of European uh, uh, descent. So so um, it's kind of interesting that there is this interplay of, of genetic um, predisposition. And then you have these environmental factors, sort of like tobacco smoking, or uncontrolled high blood pressure because of uh, uh, diet uh, and quality of, of, of food availability, uh, the disparity in delivery uh, of healthcare, um, you know, sort of related to economic um, disparities uh, and access. Um, and so, so, uh, so I think it's just sort of an interplay of those of those three things. But you know, the genetic predisposition is one that we pay attention to, and and we sort of validate multiple times, especially with this intracranial, extracranial atherosclerotic disease uh, example, that's, that's one that's uh, pretty, pretty well uh, seen. 
You touched on some things that people can do to reduce their risk, the, the DASH diet, um, blood pressure monitoring, making sure if you have sleep apnea that it's being treated. Um, what are some other things that people can do to reduce their risk? And if you had to pick one thing that's most important, what, what would it be? I never like to be narrowed down to just one thing. Is it James Carville, who is, who is the, the political advisor to, to Bill Clinton, who said it's the economy, stupid? Right. Uh, so, so I would say it's probably the hypertension. Um, so high blood pressure, high blood pressure, high blood pressure. Um, and, and, but, but really, I would say, you know, if, if you, if you have the, the smoking on board, um, then, then any, any kind of smoking that that's sort of like, you know, cause high blood pressure is this, is this thing that you, you know, you're going to work on with blood pressure medications and with a diet and exercise that you can be very successful, but smoking is sort of like, you know, damp, you know, cutting yourself and damaging yourself actively, you know, um, in, in a way that really manifests, uh, in stroke, uh, in a big way, uh, very synergistic with high blood pressure too. So, so I don't want to diminish from, uh, stopping smoking by just picking high blood pressure. Um, but, but high blood pressure is a, a huge, is, is, is big, big bag risk factor, uh, and smoking is as well. If someone's at higher risk because of a strong family history of, of people having strokes at young ages, um, is there anything else that they can do in addition to, are there any medications to explore? Yeah. Common sense is going to be what works out, uh, uh, in this scenario, in the sense that, you know, if, if I have a genetic predisposition. Then I'm going to then even more reason for me to sort of get ahead of the curve when it comes to blood sugar control, cholesterol, high blood pressure, so on and so forth, because being healthier there is going to be even more uh, uh, impactful uh, and beneficial for you. Um, if, if we're talking about a genetic predisposition that's related to a clotting disorder, then I, you know, if I'm a young person and I have family members who've had blood clotting that happened spontaneously at a young age. Uh, in, in ways that were sort of d dysfunctional enough for there to be multiple miscarriages or multiple clots to the lungs and to the legs multiple times at a very young age, so on and so forth, uh, then I, I may want to be proactive and get genetic testing about them. In the same way that, you know, if I, if I had two first order family members with aneurysms, then that may be actually a threshold where it might be reasonable to get a screening test. You know, dad and mom both have aneurysms, then maybe I should get an aneurysm uh, uh, a surveillance test, you know? Uh, so, so there are things like that that, that come into play, uh, but it really is, is really specific to what are we talking about with the genetic predisposition, you know? Um, and most of the time when it's a clotting disorder, it manifests really early if it's dysfunctional enough to be the big uh, factor um, that manifests the disease being the, 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 the genetic predisposition, then you, you get it real early. Um, so, so most of the time it's, it's people not realizing they have a genetic predisposition to having poorly controlled blood sugar and cholesterol and blood, a high blood pressure and being proactive there is, 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 is totally dependent on the, on the patient, you know. Thank you to Dr. Hesham Masood. He's an assistant professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and radiology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.